0: This is Takeaway Only, a podcast about the hospitality industry in crisis. I'm Howie Kahn, and these are the stories of the people who take care of you. Today's guest is Blake McKay. Blake is a publicist, one of the most big-hearted, and one of the best. Because so much comes down to the way we all communicate, I wanted to check in with an expert. How can we do better creating messaging that means something? How can we more effectively turn those words into action? Blake and I spoke twice for this episode over the course of a month. Keep listening to find out why. We're back Friday with an all-new guest. Please hit subscribe so you don't miss it. Stay tuned now for Blake. Blake, hello. Hi, Howie. Blake, you're a publicist. I, I think for some framing, what does that mean? What is your job?
1: yeah good question I mean I, you know i don't I don't hate the way the word publicist some folks do um, it's it's the shorthand it's the quickest way to sort of describe what I am but i I you know think of myself more sort of in the role of communications director a lot of people don't know the difference between all of these things um, which is totally fine but yeah I mean it, it, when I first started doing what I do i, I I sort of pretty strictly did the work of like media relations. Um, But now my role has expanded a lot more and I, I tend to touch sort of every area of communications with a client. So if it's a restaurant client, you know, that means being in touch with the press and telling those stories and help them figure out what their messaging is and how to talk about themselves. Um, Sometimes overseeing social media. Yeah. I mean, that's, that's, the gist. I mean, I think of my specific job in, in more detail than just that, but that's sort of the general.
0: I think now's the time to get specific, though. I mean, you know, this show, we're, we're constantly talking about reshaping the future of, of restaurants, and communications is a big piece for a lot of businesses in getting the message out, developing identity, figuring out what your values are. So let's get, let's get sort of granular about we're in this COVID-19 moment, how are you going to pick clients going forward? Who do you want to work with? What's important to you?
1: Yeah, it's a great question. I mean, I I will say that I have thought very carefully about my framework for choosing clients well before this. Um, I think that, you know, COVID, the COVID moment throws everything into even more relief, but I was very, very choosy before in accordance with, my sort of belief system and, and trying to align my belief system with the general belief systems of those that I work with, um, you know, which is a bit of a privilege because I keep my, you know, I keep my operations small. And so I have the ability to say no and not take folks on just, just for the, for the paycheck or the retainer. Um, but you know, I, I, I think that aligning, Well, this, I mean, this really gets straight away into sort of a bigger question of like the changing industry and and the sort of different responsibilities each of us play within within that shifting reality. Um, And so for me, a lot of that stuff will remain the same, which means working with people who, I mean, everything from sort of, you know have a have a real social conscience and and their sourcing and buying and the way they treat their employees reflects all of that um, to people who you know of course are also doing doing exciting work um, that I can really get behind and support in a genuine way, but I think more specifically to this moment. You know, it has to be folks who understand the way that everything has sort of been turned upside down now and how to rebuild consciously um, and smartly and in a way that contributes to a more equitable system overall.
0: I think you have a, a great reputation within the industry for thinking these things through and bringing, you know, a, a values-based system to businesses who are looking to develop those things. Have you been approached a lot recently uh, with by restaurants and, and food businesses who are looking to restart in a different way now that the whole world is, is a different world?
1: Yes and no. I, I mean, honestly, I wish I... I were more, you know, I I think that as time goes on, and we're getting into, you know, whether it's sort of right or justified or not, we're getting into different phases of quote, unquote, reopening. Mm. I I do hope that I will hear from more folks who want to be intentional about how they reopen, how they move into this next phase, how they pivot, relaunch, or, you know, sort of rework their concept, any of those things. Um, Since the onset of the pandemic, I have a couple new clients who have found themselves like in this moment and wanting to really, um, you know, take advantage is probably the wrong way to frame it, but to move into the new reality with a lot more of that intention, which I'm excited about. I mean, at the beginning, I, I thought, well, I'll lose some people and hopefully I'll keep some people and I'll hold on, for dear life. Um, but yeah, I have a couple new folks too that, that, you know, that are, that could not be more in line with the types of people that I want to be working with, that I've always wanted to work with, but that I really want to be working with moving forward, which is great. But I, you know, this moment has really made me think more about the sort of short term version of what I might do. Like I tend to work, month to month on retainer with people in the food world. But I would really love to sort of expand the part of my work that is more like a short term consultancy where I come in and help you get all the pieces together to really, you know, up your communications game for this, for this next phase of, uh, you know, life and work.
0: Not to give too much of it away for free, but it sounds like, you know, you're thinking about developing a kind of of toolkit for businesses to use. So what sorts of things would be in it? What's, what would be important to get across in, in a concentrated kind of consultancy relationship?
1: Yeah. I mean, that's, I've thought, I've long thought about doing something that's more like product based and it can happen over a shorter period of time, more concentrated way. Um, you know, the the boring version of the answer is that it would obviously depend so completely on the client, you know, someone that's running a small, you know, CPG business is completely different from someone running a, you know, a group of three restaurants, or a group of 10 restaurants, or one restaurant, or whatever the case may be. But, you know, I think that a big part of what, where that would start, I guess, no matter who it was, would be to really have that intentionality right out of the gate. And obviously, you know, for folks running businesses right now, the idea of sort of taking a big pause to be intentional, create a framework for your business, create you know, a, a manifesto of sorts for how you're gonna meet this moment um, and hold yourself accountable moving forward, I'm sure that's like a really overwhelming idea for a lot of people who are just trying to do whatever they can to stay too far out of the red or whatever the case may be. Um, but that, I think that would be a big part of it, you know, starting with that building block of creating some sort of document that touches on all these areas, you know, um, that touches on, on employee welfare and sourcing and how the customer is treated and looking at costs of food, which I know you've talked about on the show before and is so important. Um, And then how to take all that and, and sort of communicate it properly and how to step into a role where you're contributing in the larger industry to important conversations and, and pushing those things forward.
0: How do you think communications pros like yourself can communicate to restaurants and food businesses that the most important part of having somebody like you on board is not getting press it after press it after press Mm -hmm. it?
1: Yeah. I mean, thank you for that very good and smart question. Um, I mean, I think of what I do in, in sort of three parts. I think that for me, the, the three main pieces and, you know, ultimately my work relationships are best when the client understands that this is the value that I bring, but the three main pieces are really to sort of think a lot and understand as deeply as I can any and all of the issues that may touch the communications around a restaurant. Um, so, and, you know, anything that a chef or a restaurant owner or a business owner might ever get asked about in an interview. Like it's really important for me to have thought about those things deeply and, and talked about them a lot with my client and understood them. So I have a command that, you know, I can bring my own sort of um, contributions to bear and help guide clients in directions that make sense. The second part is to have you know, original and creative ideas that go beyond just the pages of, of you know, a magazine or a newspaper or a website um, and think, yeah, be bigger than press and, and what, you know, collaborations and interesting um, projects might help further whatever the goals of the client might be. And then the third, of course, is to execute, which includes the press hits piece. Um, But, you know, I think that like, if you think about it for more than a few seconds, you really understand how the impact of something that's developed over time and executed carefully is going to go so much further for a client than, you know, five press hits with sort of on websites that have, decent numbers or whatever. It's, it's just, that's really, that meat is where I'm always trying to get. And, and it's not always easy for clients to understand. You know, they see their peers in the press and they think, that should be me, that should be me every single day. There's so many opportunities out there to get mentioned, um, but I'm really working much deeper than just the mention.
0: You and I have something fun in common. We were both cheesemongers. Yes. How does selling cheese make you a better communicator?
1: Oh, wow. It definitely made me a better communicator. It's so interesting because I don't know that I've ever thought about it this way, but people come to the cheese counter and they think they know what they want or they know a little bit of what they like. Um, And it's your job to understand what they need what they're using the cheese for what they're actually trying to get at and then get them to buy the thing that really fits their needs the most and you know sometimes that's like the really special thing that takes a lot of investment and they have to like do something to it at home and sometimes that's like oh no, you just need Salvatore Ricotta. So I'm just going to like turn you around and give you that and you're going to take that home and you're going to love it. But yeah, I mean, I think that like press communications and cheese communications could live under a similar umbrella of like people engage with it all the time and, and think they know. Um, but when you're like fully living in it, you can maybe uh, bring, bring more to the table and, and open someone's eyes. But I didn't know you were a monger. Where, where and <laughs> when did that
0: happen? When I was in college, I worked at Zingerman's Deli in Ann oh Arbor, Michigan, God. and I, I sold cheese. It was uh, you know something I spent many days doing, and it taught me how to work with a broader audience. I mean, up until that point, I basically had, you know, family, friends, and kids in college writing workshops, or, you know, public school students I was tutoring, or, or whatever. But there's something really valuable about, you never know who's going to come through the door, you never know what they're bringing with them, you don't know what they need, or how to give it to them. So it's it's a really interesting challenge to take all that into consideration, and then send them out the door happy.
1: It really is. I mean, Zach Saginaw actually trained me at Brooklyn Larder, um, you know, of the Ann Arbor Saginaw's, but, yeah, um, and there at Singerman's are the masters, but yeah, yeah I mean, I, I agree completely. Um, and I, before I was a monger, I worked in another part of the cheese world. My first food job in New York was, I was the line cook at Castle Luba um, in Hell's Kitchen and worked under a, a total uh, genius of both cheese and communications there, Tia Keenan, who taught mm-hmm. me and she, you know, has gone on to write several books. And uh, she taught me so much about cheese and press and communicating and how to, how to combine food and activism inevitably um, and how to sort of have, hold a moral line as a person with a job in the food world.
0: Let's talk about the activist piece of, of what you do and how that's going to impact the clients you work with in, in, in the future. How do you like to see activism play into food businesses? What are important things to be activist about? How do we decide what gets the activism in the food world?
1: Yeah, I mean, good question. It's, you know, food... To say that food is political is a tired understatement, but it, you know, I guess bears repeating until everyone knows it. Um, And starting from that understanding, I think is important. You know, I've, I've always encouraged my clients to be bold about what they believe. Like I don't believe I really don't. Well, everyone gets to run their business as they please, but it's not my preference to work with clients who have a belief of like, Nope, this place is just, it's, you know, uh, I don't know, like Michael Jordan said in the last dance, Republicans wear buy sneakers too, but um that's not really my type of client. Like I want to work with someone who knows what they believe and who's who's executing on those beliefs through the the their restaurant and so, you know, I don't know if it's for me to say what deserves to get the attention moving forward, but what I definitely can speak to is the fact that I think that publicists and communications people really have a role to play in social justice movements and certainly social justice movements as they relate to food.
0: I first asked Blake this question in late May. That's what you just heard. Right around the same time, George Floyd was murdered and the country erupted in ongoing protests that have been happening ever since. I wanted to ask Blake to address this matter again since the world has changed so much. So I called her up again last week. Okay, so last time we spoke, Blake, which was at the end of May, you said publicists have a role to play in social justice movements. We just heard those words on the tape. I think you're absolutely right. They do Were in the midst of one of the biggest social justice movements of our lifetime now, it's really ramped up since the last time we spoke. So I just wanted to readdress the question with you and and ask, what are you doing uh, social justice-wise in in this moment as it pertains to food and restaurants and not?
1: Yeah. Well, I mean, in in terms of the not, um, you know, I'm, I'm certainly doing a lot of what, what a lot of people are doing, and and um, you know, donating and supporting folks who are protesting. I am seven months pregnant, and we're still in a pandemic, so um, I don't I don't trust anything enough to be on the streets, which is like killing me um, softly. But it's the decision that that I've made, which is to, to not um, be out there, but. You know, in terms of the food world, um, or sort of seeing seeing all of this through that lens. You know, it's 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 a tough and and messy time, and I think that um, one of the things I've been thinking a lot about is the fact that you know how hard it is to know when you're like living through history, and when you're. I think it's pretty clear to anyone who's paying attention that we are living in the civil rights moment of our era. And it is inappropriate to me, and I feel this way personally, and I feel this way in terms of advising my clients to not act like it, like to to act like things are, you know, back to normal or going back to normal, or it, it's irresponsible. Um, And so I certainly think that's part of it now, like what that looks like and what that means, I think is really confronting for a lot of people in the food world, especially restaurant owners, because I think we have this sort of one, this, the, you know, the, the, this reckoning with, with, police brutality and, um, you know, this moment around black liberation stacked on top of the pandemic in a way that the reality is like, it's very confronting to imagine as say a restaurant owner, um, which many of my clients are, that the right thing to do is to like, give away all your capital, social and otherwise. and, And, in a moment, where you've already been asked to—or what, not asked—but when you've already lost so much. Um, that said, that's sort of what the moment is calling for um, in its in its purest form. But I also think you know, there's a whole conversation here about communications, which is like the the lighter touch thing, but it's so much of what I do. And there's a lot. There's a lot of. Uh, <laughs> there's a lot of misstepping in terms of keeping up with how to communicate properly at a moment like this.
0: We've gone from this pandemic moment where nobody knew what they were doing to this moment of confronting systemic racism in in every way. That's what George Floyd's murder has has given us this opportunity to confront Uh, decades, over 100 years, foreverness of this this problem. So, yeah, I mean, the communications piece would be important. There's no effective work to be done towards a solution unless you know how to talk about it first.
1: Of course. I mean, as with so many things, I think. Um, And I mean, you know, boring to say but ever true that, like, in a moment, internet age, social media era, like, the folks that are doing really effective communicating are the ones that are making the biggest waves. And that's, it's impactful and it's, and it's, and it's not fun to watch, but it's, it's, it makes a difference for sure to be able to communicate really effectively. Um, But also there's the other side of it, which is like, we're seeing so many instances in which subpar communication is the spark that like is burning people's careers to the ground um and not just subpar but disingenuous and i think that in this moment which is which is just you know so massive we're we're seeing the the language of the revolution go mainstream and it's just so easy to get caught behind and um, if you're not paying really close attention to uh, that language and that communication and, and sort of educating yourself and keeping up with it, it is so easy to just to, to feel, to say the thing that is so out of touch, um, which, you know, fair or unfair, that's the reality. It's like, you can sound really, uh, really out of touch um, right now, if you're not really keeping up with, with some of that language messaging.
0: And are you advising people that they can take their time in terms of saying the right thing, but they have to say something and it has to be right. And you can't wait forever.
1: You know, it's complicated. And I do think in some ways it's different for everyone, but yes, I think that like you, even from sort of a, a, I don't know, like a, not in a disingenuous way but in a self-protective way like if you're not good at this type of commu- communication it's like okay we'll get good get better figure it out ask for some help i mean that's literally what i'm paid for but if you <laughs> don't have me like it's because people are looking to to you know voting with your dollar is a very effective way to vote in a capitalist system and so you're you know, your followers, your customers are paying attention. And if you don't have anything to say right now, you can bet that, you know, they're not coming back. Um, but yes, I do think that rushing is n- not really ideal. Um, I don't love and appreciate the that energy of like, we have to put, you know, we have to get something out there because it ends up being know pat and just literally the same thing that your neighbor said and people who aren't taking the time to not only think deeply about how these things affect you know them and their employees and their businesses and their communities but also aren't thinking about the proper action to take in accordance with Those specific things.
0: Yeah. I come at it from a very editorial standpoint. It's like, don't tell me your feelings. Your feelings aren't news. Tell me what you're doing to change. Mm -hmm. That's a story.
1: Mm -hmm. Exactly. Yeah. Action, action over feelings. I mean, especially for white people and white business owners. It's like, it is so hard for white people, us white folks, to undo the notion that our voice is necessary. And sometimes it's not. And I think there's a lot of mixed messages sort of swirling in the media, social and otherwise, about if you should be saying stuff and if you should just shut the hell up and whatever. And it's not always easy to sort of do what's called for, but I think you can always act.
0: You can always act. Yeah. That's true. It doesn't have to be on social media. It doesn't have to be public. Everyone can do their their private thing. And that's what's actually going to, turn the tide
1: oh, completely completely i mean i you know early on in in this moment i via Steven satterfield i saw um sort of guideline for communications which is that's been really like it's a filter that i find very 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 useful and it's um knowledge plus empathy plus action is where you want to be. If you take out any one of those three, you're performing. It's performative. And I think that that's so valuable for, you know, people in our industry, for public figures, media, restaurants, whatever it might be. Like, you need all three of those pieces to make it work.
0: The Empathy Knowledge Action Formula is Rachel Cargill's. Now, back to Blake. She's talking about who she wants to work with.
1: You know, I... And just some like things to sort of tick off on the list there. You know, I think that obviously taking on clients who sort of reflect a future that you want to see in the food world um, is important. I think that in addition to taking on paying clients, you know, think about pro bono clients. Um, I always have sort of one or two pro bono clients in the mix and I love that work. And it's, And I can do a lot for a client who, you know, can't afford to pay me. And I, you know, that it's, the truth is it's not like a very heavy lift for me. I can fold someone into my roster in that way. And that's something that I hope that all communications professionals are doing, whether they're social media managers or publicists or marketers or whatever. Um, And I think, you know, this business is so much about relationships and so aligning with editors and publications and writers and photographers who, you know, are really trying to make those people's jobs easier when those people are trying to tell the stories that are a little harder to tell. Um, and that's so much of like what I end up doing is trying to make those people's jobs Easier, So that the barriers are lower for them to have access to, you know, to, to, to great and unexpected stories that aren't, you know, that aren't necessarily getting 10 press releases in their inbox each month, but that are hopefully more interesting. Um, Yeah.
0: What causes in the food world do you find yourself paying close attention to right now?
1: Oh, man. I mean you know, this crisis is, like, laid bare. You know, the the answer pre-COVID would have been so different, right? Um, And I think that this crisis has, has completely laid bare the way that so many of our industries are just, you know, one breath away from from all of the stuff that really just matters to everyone in terms of health care and housing security and um,
0: all eating, of that. Eating so, every day? E-
1: right, right, right to food. And, and it's, so it's so big right now. It's so, um, it's so sort of overwhelming at times, but I, you know, the th- the things that are always sort of closest to my heart that I really get into the most, if I'm being totally honest, are the, um, I wouldn't say I'm like a burn-it-all downer, but I'm like not that many clicks away from the burn-it-all downers, mm-hmm. especially right now. I mm-hmm. feel like I don't have a lot of confidence that the power systems that have existed in the restaurant industry for a long, long time will be the things that will see us through this moment to the other side. Um, and I think about a version of, of, you know, New York for instance, on the other, you know, quote unquote, other side of this, where those are the only people that that really could survive and make it work. And that's, that's a sad, sad food landscape on a lot of levels. Um, and so I'm super interested right now in the people doing like the big reimagining. Um, and sort of having the the boldness and the bravery and the f- sort of uh, you know the future orientation in order to you know, um, agitate and lobby and figure out how to rebuild starting from a really new place.
0: Yeah. The bold action piece is when I keep coming back to and thinking about what it means. And there's, there's a couple places I keep getting stuck. And one is um, with landlords, because what kind of landlord is going to take bold action to say, I want to be the one to help, you know, rebuild the restaurant industry. And I get stuck on the the politics piece too, because legislative agendas are so incredibly complicated and the way you know surprising things get folded into bills that should have never been there in the first place as you know little piggybacking devils um so it's interesting because it's all very it's all very interwoven i would love the burn it downers you know i would love to see them have their opportunity to do it but it's sort of i don't know how that exists outside of the vacuum of the idea
1: no, completely, completely, and I think that you know my thinking is is similar to yours in terms of the larger political and legislative piece and how <sighs> disheartening
0: yeah I mean that I, get, is. I get it. It would take you know someone who wants to open up a restaurant in New York City who can't afford opening up a restaurant in New York City to be physically responsible, go where they can open, don't overshoot their wallet and and kind of start from there. How do you build something without depending on anybody else there are ways it's just of extremely different from e- the word restaurant that we're even using
1: yeah yeah well and to, even to say there are ways it's like there are ways for people who are resourced up to a certain level uh, even if it's not millions and millions of dollars of resource but like there's also folks that are that even if they go somewhere really cheap that's gonna be a that's going to be a tough prospect all things considered and you know I live up in the Catskills and it's a whole different story up here it's you know obviously real estate on on say Warren and in Hudson is still going to be pricey-ish you know upstate pricey or in uptown Kingston or something like that but there's plenty of space that's that's not on those main drags, but um, no, it's, it's
0: more like get a tent and put it in the field and have a couple of gas burners.
1: Hundred percent, yeah. And and even with the logistical challenges of our moment, like you could, you know, you could put a grill in a shed, and no matter how good the food is, we're still then facing, you know, are people even going to feel comfortable showing up, and how? You know, how many people do you have to feed a day in a way that feels safe for you, in a way that feels safe for them in order to even, you know, approach breaking even? And that's just sort of the whole next level that's that really does the head in.
0: So let's imagine something positive for a minute. Let's say it's a year from now, June next year, no no COVID, COVID free, you turn to your favorite newspapers, food section. We don't have to pick a paper. We don't have to identify anything. And, and you see, uh, you know, a bunch of uh, stories above, above the fold. What do you want to see?
1: If COVID is truly in the rear view and that's no longer sort of the pres- pressing issue of the day and all things related to COVID are, are the things that, you know, that people are telling stories about, I want to see evidence of, Two things: um, a more equitable system, top to bottom, and I want to see stories that aren't just about chefs and their restaurants. Like I want, I want to push and expand and broaden. The notion, and of course, there are plenty of food sections and writers who are doing this work, but I want to see more writing and exploration about other parts of, of our food system. And, and with an agenda in an ideal world that that more readers reading that will lead to deeper understanding of. The, the food system and that that can help make the food system shorter and smaller and healthier, um, and more responsible. That would be, that'd be a really good spot to be in a year.
0: <laughs> yeah, it would be. I would, I would like to see less of an insistence on relating new to news new and news are not the same yes. thing you can find news in something that's been around for for 80 years but the whole the opening is the only part of the cycle that's ever going to get into the press thing just for me has to go i i i, mean, I, I think building more equity uh, ac- across stories has a lot to do with that
1: preach it i i mean how many clients over my career have I had to say, you know, for better or worse, the food media is completely focused on the new, you know, or 95% focused on the new? And, you know, I have the great uh, privilege and joy of sharing a home with a person who was someone who told a lot of the stories of the new. Um, and I. Yeah, I mean, I think there's still some room from time to time to look at what's new and exciting. But I agree with you so completely that like, it's just so dull. It's <laughs> it, it, so it, it, dull. It, it, it,
0: it is. And as someone like, I'm not, you know, 26 anymore. So I, I kind of realize like, I'm not new yeah you, mm-hmm. you know but there there's still I'm things definitely th- not th- new. there's still things happening
1: well, and so often it's like there's a there's framing around something that seems new and exciting and and that's lovely for for that opening or whatever, but then you know a few months go by, and the quality wasn't there, and you literally never hear about the place again and to me, I don't want to pass judgment on on all of that, but i I think that i don't know sometimes I long for the days when like it, it would have been very uncool to review a restaurant in the first three months, mm. you know, like yeah. let things stand themselves up. Let, like, let people figure out if they're good, you know, and if after three months, this place is like popping every night in its neighborhood, then there's something there. But Yeah.
0: Can we talk about money for a minute, because money's going to be tight across the entire industry, and uh-huh. I think everyone's going to have to take less to make some. Uh-huh. What's, what's communications worth? What's, what's the range? What are you going to charge? I know you do some for free.
1: I do some for free where I can. It's, it's going to really depend, you know I, I think that I mean, COVID-related, but less specific to food. I, I'm sort of in in. I'm a little bit of a real estate obsessive, as many of us are. So, like, I keep a really close eye on on you know all of that, and I don't see a ton of evidence that the reality of this moment has caught up yet. To I watched the
0: real estate market, and prices have not budged. Prices have not budged since February.
1: What is that about? I mean, I, I have a theory. I bet you do too. Um, but my my theory is that this is very like from leadership on down, but I think mm-hmm. that we're like living in this moment of collective denial. Mm-hmm. People are so desperate for things to quote unquote go back to normal. Mm-hmm. And we haven't been forced to shift into that place yet of like, oh, do- like dozens of, of, of millions of jobs, of people on unemployment, you know, not to mention undocumented folks who have also lost jobs and like you're pretending that that's not going to have an effect somehow on the cost of life, on the cost of real estate, on, on rents, on it, that, that is just wild to me. And so like the short answer to your question is I, I don't totally know. I'm going to have to adapt according to what people can afford those people specifically being the types of people I want to work with. But honestly, that's always been my MO anyway. From the very beginning, I, you know, I definitely take below what most of the sort of medium, a lot below most of what sort of the medium or larger firms will charge because it matters more to me to work with someone who I can like really get behind and and be genuine about it. Um, and so there's always been a bit of a, a bit of a sliding scale. Um, and I'm, you know, I'm getting creative now with, with some of that stuff and it's, you know, it's not ideal exactly for me and like my, the steadiness of my income, but you know, I, I have flexibility and it's incumbent upon me to, to be flexible.
0: Yeah. I I think we are living in this, limbo phase where value has not yet been determined and we're all I think going to have to do a lot of work to determine the value of things not only the market value but what the value is personally to us and how that impacts the way we all price
1: absolutely yeah yeah and it's such a it's such a strange and complicated reality when you're someone who both sets price and pays you know pays value too I mean I'm thinking about uh, the, you know, some of the proposed fixes to the post office, which is like fresh on my mind right now, for whatever reason, it's like, Oh, just jack the price up four times to send a package and you'll be fine. But, you know, also thinking about how sometimes uh, that's not a good solution for, for the record. Um, but, you know, your conversation with Martha Hoover very early on in, in, this endeavor and this crisis and you guys talked about you know the the value the cost of food and the value of food and you know that's that's very real and it's difficult in a system where food isn't valued you know in different countries the the cheapest thing isn't the cheeseburger happy meal the cheapest thing is is the bread and the cheese and the apple um and so to to try to create a new reality on, on value around food is, is tough in a system like that.
0: I would like to see a reality where posts offices and restaurants help each other continue to coexist. So Ooh. more food stands in post offices,
1: the great restaurant incredibly, con- incredibly
0: convenient, you know, it doesn't have to be a tasting menu, but it would be nice to drop off a package and to be able to get a hot dog. The, uh, you know, the government can collect a little bit of, of rent money. The, uh, Real estate can be less than you know street value. Everybody wins a little bit. I get a snack. You I know, love that. Br- bring a little magic back to the post office.
1: I mean, anytime I can run an errand and get a snack, exactly. You know, I'm I'm thrilled.
0: Yeah, put snacks everywhere. <laughs> Blake, our show's called Takeaway Only. What's your What's your big takeaway from being a professional communicator through this moment?
1: My biggest takeaway in this time, um, probably even more so than it than it was before, is to be honest. And I think that that honesty uh, can sort of umbrella over uh, a lot of things. But um, be honest about you know what what you stand for and what matters to you as a as a business owner or a member of the food community, and and sort of you know, without fear of, of alienating, Um, but also be honest about what you're going through as a business owner or a member of the food community. Um, I think that it's sort of more important than ever that, that folks be transparent so that, so that other folks in our world don't feel like they're the only ones, you know, sort of struggling as much as they are. And, that's been a really lovely thing to witness, certainly with myself and my community and my clients is everyone sort of really taking the time to communicate directly and more broadly, but like getting on the phone with each other and, and really talking through, you know, every bit of this. Um, and so, yeah.
0: I like that. Honest, transparent, and state your needs, get them met.
1: Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, as you say that, it, it makes me think also uh, if you're in a position of power, listen to the needs of the people around you and ask if they're not voicing them, ask what their needs are. But yeah, there's a, there's a chain of, of honesty there that feels um, really important to set a new standard around.
0: The listening goes back to the the cheese mongering for me. I mean, you just, that's where the listening started, you know? Totally. My favorite customer, I usually stop these interviews right after the takeaway, but since we're talking about cheese, my favorite customer was um, a uh, on-again, off-again homeless woman who would come in and never buy anything. She would come in and she would browse and we gave samples, so Uh we we would take them, but... She had a great palate. She really was listening to what we were saying, and I was—I I was always amazed by how closely she was hearing us and just trying to reciprocate that with—with with her, even though the exchange wasn't ever the typical retail exchange. It was she was yeah. she was she was never a customer, but she was kind of the most important person who came in every day for a lot of us.
1: I love that. I love that. I mean. It- I like hesitate to sort of talk about silver linings because this time is so horrific, but you know that that slowing down and that paying attention, you know, that certainly could be could be one of them. And I think especially around food, I mean, it's it's obviously happening in many ways, Um, and so that's lovely.
0: I like it. Well, I know both of our days are are going to be centered around listening to many more people, so. On to more listening, Blake. Thank you for being here.
1: Thank you, Howie.
0: That was Blake McKay. You can learn more about her and her work at www.highblake.com. Thank you so much for listening. Takeaway Only is produced by Casey Kahn, Rob Corso, and me, Howie Kahn, for Freetime Media. Our logo is by Reynald Philippe Peoples. Music by John Palmer. Special thanks to Kristen Millar, Antoine Ricardieu, and Raphael Weil. We're back Friday. This is Takeaway Only.